Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. We are headed out to sea on this latest edition of the People in Places Extra podcast. I'm Ken Watlington. We're talking the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament, one of the premier fishing tournaments along the East Coast, and it happens every June right here in eastern North Carolina in Moorhead City in Carteret County. We're talking about a tournament that has grown immensely over the 65-plus years of its existence, and today millions and millions of dollars are up for grabs for the boat that can bring in the largest blue marlin. Some $2 million will go to the winning boat this year. And it's become such a high-stakes event. Attention is being drawn in from well beyond eastern North Carolina. There are people all over the country who just can't get enough of this fishing tournament. And one of the people who's started to realize just how immensely popular the Big Rock has become is Greenville-based author and sports writer Bethany Bradshaw. She enjoyed the Big Rock so much, she decided to embed herself into the tournament one year and wrote a book about it. It's called The Big Rock, Inside the High Stakes Hunt for the Elusive Million Dollar Marlin. I caught up with Bethany recently to profile her and the book on WNCT's People in Places segment. You can watch every Thursday on WNCT 9 News at 5. Today, we're sharing that entire conversation, diving deeper into The Big Rock, her other books she's written over her career, and what's next. So let's talk about The Big Rock. When did you first realize that the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament was, I guess, pun intended, a big deal? I think it, it kind of built for me over the years. You know, I've been a sports writer here covering East Carolina, doing all kinds of freelance work. But several years ago, when there was a big court case that anybody would remember involving the boat citation, where there was a member of the crew that didn't have a fishing license, and therefore that boat was disqualified from winning the $1 million prize, the amount of coverage of that event kind of made me sit up a little straighter and go, oh my goodness, that is a huge tournament with massive boats and huge dollar amounts and the stakes are so much higher than anything that I had ever really understood before. And so I started asking a lot of questions and getting to know some of the um, captains locally who fished in the tournament and said, you know, it's time to do a book. So how did the process go as far as, you know, meeting some of the captains? Mm -hmm. Did you go out on the boats during the tournament? There's a local Greenville captain named Mark Barton. Um, his boat is called Teasem, and Mark took me out a few different times. We went out for the KWLA, and actually before the tournament went out one day, and then one day during the tournament. This is in 2018. So Mark was incredibly um, forthcoming with allowing me to go out on his boat, except for one day my husband tried to bring a banana on board, which is a very big no-no. So we learned that if you bring a banana on board a fishing boat, then you know, you'll get kicked immediately off. You were the banana. Bad luck. So I had to learn that kind of thing, Uh, but did get to go out and what I decided was 2018 was the year I was going to really embed myself and the Big Rock staff and board was incredibly gracious in allowing me to just be around the office, be at the landing, just kind of everywhere anything was happening, anytime there was a weigh in and then throughout that week I got to know the captains and the mates the boat owners who were leading on you know that year's tournament and so I was able to tell their story and and then in 2019 there was a record-breaking 913 pound marlin that was caught um, aboard Top Dog and so that ended up being the epilogue of the book because you couldn't not include that and the timing worked out great so most of 2018 I was in there deep and then I included that 2019. And correct me if I'm wrong that record-breaking marlin the, the boat was a, a smaller boat right? 
It was. It wasn't the like the outboard. That was yeah. in 2020 when they had an outboard okay. boat that was smaller, but it wasn't a huge one. And that fish was so big that it wouldn't fit through the transom door. Right. And so they had to just tie up the tail. About a third of the fish was sticking out all the way back. So it's a wild story. I mean, they tried everything that, you know, dishwashing soap and a pulley and everything they could. They had probably five or six boats around them trying to give them whatever they could find to bring that boat, bring that fish all the way in. And it never would make it all the way into the boat. Why was it important to you to write this book, to let people know, hey, here's this thing right here in our backyard mm -hmm. that it really is something that affects people all over the country? I think the drama, I mean, I love storytelling. I love high stakes sporting events. That's kind of been my whole career. And to realize that this tournament has the amount of drama it has. You know, the tournament that I embedded myself in in 2018, nothing was really decided until the very last day. Nothing. Everything got shaken up on Saturday. And it was this incredible sense of anything could happen. There were five or six weigh-ins that day. And every time you just are holding your breath. And, and so I feel like people in this area need to understand that, you know, in Greenville, they can just go down, you know, an hour and a half and be part of this incredible sporting event where, you know, it's as dramatic as any football game or basketball game that you can think of. And it goes on for, for an entire week. And it's such a huge sporting event. It's now attracted one of the, if not the biggest sports star in history, Michael Jordan. Yes. This will be his third year in the tournament. Yes. Fourth year, I'm sorry, fourth year. That's right, that's tournament. right, because he started in 2020, which was the year my book came out. And um, yeah, having Michael Jordan be part of the tournament, it has been an incredible boost, I think, just because I, the first year he fished was also the first year I was promoting the book. And it was so funny, I had all these sports talk radio guys all over the country reaching out to me, can you explain what this even is? Yeah. And they didn't understand, they would say, oh, Michael Jordan's, you know, 10th place. And I was like, no, that means he's one of 200 boats to have I mean, one of 10 out of 200 to have caught a fish big enough to be on the leaderboard. Yeah. That's a big deal, but they didn't understand what they were looking at. So it was wonderful for me to, to be able to kind of talk to these mainstream sports guys yeah. again and say, hey, you got to pay attention. This is an incredible event. Yeah. And I, I feel like the book and my communication with people has allowed them to follow it from all over the country and say, I'm going to get on the Facebook, I'm going to get on the Twitter and, and daily find out what's happening. That kind of happened to me too back in 2020. I shared the video of Jordan coming back to the dock. They caught a 400-some pound marlin, like right. like a nice size fish. Nothing, yeah. And Pat McAfee, the former football player, is on ESPN now, <laughs> shared my tweet and he was asking, look, this seems amazing to me, but is this a big deal? Right. And people right. are like, yeah, that's a pretty big that's deal. That's a really big deal. Well, yeah, if, you, if your fish isn't large enough and you come in and get it weighed, then you're going to get points taken off. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll put you out of the tournament. So everyone understands, anyone on Jordan's boat or any boat understands, we're not going to bring in a, a fish that is less than 400 pounds or smaller than 110 inches because you'll you'll have a penalty. So to bring any fish in to be weighed is a big deal. Let's kind of go backwards just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what got you into wanting to write? Oh, goodness. It's just about all I've ever done. Um, you know, majored in journalism at, at UNC and went into sports writing at the newspaper level out of out of college and so i was able to cover the carolina panthers and wofford college i was down in spartanburg and the um, preparations for the 96 olympics in atlanta so i, I did some amazing things um, started having children and started freelancing and we moved here in 1999 so from greenville i've been able to do a whole new range of freelancing a lot involving east carolina and regional events in this area like the big rock and and then just ghostwriting books for a lot of other people it's been incredible um, my first book came out in 2010 and i think i've written 14 since then so 
not even sure. <laughs> 14 or 15. <laughs> they blend together probably. They do. <laughs> Where are you from originally? Uh, Houston, Texas. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So you ended up at UNC? Ended up at UNC. So kind of a long way from And home. keep moving east. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, another book you wrote deals with Keith LeClaire. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously the, the legendary East Carolina baseball coach died of ALS. What made you want to take on that topic? It was actually my first book. And again, it's a great story, a, a sad, difficult story, but a story that this community needed to have told. And so for me, I'd kind of been watching and knew the family and I, you know, I live in this community. So I'd, I'd been around and, and watched this whole progression of his illness and deterioration and what it meant to this team and this, and this fan base. And so I thought this needs to be done. And you know, I was really grateful that Keith's family and his former players and his former assistant coaches and everybody was really on board. And that weekend, that book launched in 2010, I had three or four you know, big burly baseball fan, grown men just need to come up and give me a hug and say, I read the whole book this weekend and I cried. And, and so just that kind of thing, when you're able to capture something like that for a community, I, you know, I was in yeah. and I wanted to keep telling those types of stories. Another book you wrote deals with the old Dixie Classic mm -hmm. college basketball tournament. The big four, Carolina State, Duke, Wake Forest, always mm -hmm. took part in the preseason outside of the ACC. And I always remember my grandfather would talk about it. This was the greatest thing ever. This is mm -hmm. the greatest thing ever. Why was it important to tell that story to kind of keep that piece of history alive? It's funny you say that about your grandfather because what I found, a friend of mine told me about the Dixie Classic. I didn't grow up here and I had to learn a little bit. And then I kind of floated it to some people I knew who were in their 70s, who I knew were big sports fans. They grew up in this area or in the Triangle. And their eyes lit up when I said, I might write about the Dixie Classic because it was the Christmas gift of choice for little boys mm -hmm. um, during the years that it ran, which was 1949 to 1961. It was the coveted, you know, tickets in your stocking because it was between Christmas and New Year's. So for me, I, there's a common thread, I think, of the things that make people's eyes light up, the things that get people really excited, the events that I can just dig in and tell that story. I've loved that opportunity. So the Dixie Classic was one that, goodness, needed to be told. And back in 2010, when I was doing that research, there were so many former players that, you know, were young enough and healthy enough to tell their stories. And I was able to sit down and really do that tournament justice. And it was an amazing thing. I wish it still existed today. Yes, and you and a lot of others. An A-team tournament <laughs> with your four big four schools from North Carolina. You bring in other big names from across mm -hmm. the country. And it's right here in our backyard. It sounds amazing. Yeah, But TV's absolutely. kind of changed the way it that works, I guess. With so much. All Conference, these other tournaments. Realignment, all that, yeah. Maui and all, all these yeah. tournaments they play at that time of year. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's next for you? Well, um, I'm doing some ghostwriting projects that some of which, well, actually this one I can tell, I, I wrote a book that was the history of boat building and sport fishing on the Outer Banks. And that book should come out in August, we hope, if all goes according to plan with design and production. And so that was fun. It was something I was contracted to do by some guys out on the Outer Banks that felt like this history needed to be told. So much fun. I interviewed a lot of you know, old captains who were there in the days before, you know, anybody came out to charter right. um, out on the Outer Banks. And the boat building is unbelievable. I toured Bayless and Spencer Yachts and all these places that you just can't get over these 80 foot, you know, <laughs> incredible boats. Yeah. So I'm doing that and then have another ECU baseball book in the works that'll come out at the beginning of next season. And this is really a, a look at the way the fan base and the players and the community all, you know, connect and, and serve each other. I mean, just the uniqueness of this college baseball community from a fan perspective, yeah. primarily, and the stories that are embedded in that. And I'm so excited. I've been collecting, you know, stories and interviews for that, and I have, have some more to do. 
I've been fortunate to see a lot of different sporting events, venues, fan bases across the country. There is something unique about ECU baseball and the passion. Yes. Uh, each and every day, from a, a cold February day early in the season, the place is packed to what we saw in the Super Regionals with incredible. Texas last year. Yeah, incredible. It really is. And, and it, you know, the end of this year was a little heartbreaking, but that fan base is, you know, the hope is, is always yeah. undimmed and they're going to be back and, and their spirit and their love for the team and the way the team has really reached out. I have a lot of great stories of players on the way they've reached out to kids in the community and showed up at their Little League games. And it's just really unique and I think particularly for college baseball which at a lot of large division one schools is sort of forgotten under the shadow of, of football and basketball um, what we have here is something special and you can learn so much more about Bethany's book the big rock and you can pick up a copy for yourself by heading to the website bigrockbook.com and of course if you missed the video portion of the people in places feature on Bethany Bradshaw's book the big rock you can check it out right now at WNCT.com. Just click on the On Your Side tab, and right there you'll find the People in Places page. That is it for this week's episode of the People in Places Extra podcast. I'm Ken Watlington.